Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Myers. You can find me on livetoone110.com. Today I'm interviewing Mickey Riley of fitnesstransform.com. Mickey's the author of Your Primal Body and is going to share with us how she transformed her life and her body with the paleo diet and how you can transform your body using her five-step primal body program. But first I have to do my dreaded disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment we suggest on this show. If you're interested in shedding a few of those holiday pounds, uh, I know you got a few, Just put, uh, I just put a new and improved version of my Live to 110 by Weighing Less e-guide on the site. So if you want to learn about the latest science on weight loss or the modern paleo diet, my version of paleo, go to livetoone110.com and sign up for my free 35-page Live to 110 by Weighing Less e-guide. Today, I'm really excited to have our guest, Mickey Riley, on the show. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist and has a master's of fitness sciences from the International Sports Sciences Association. Well, that's a mouthful. (laughs) She recently became a Russian kettlebell challenge certified instructor because she clearly enjoys lifting really heavy objects, unlike myself. (laughs) And she used to be a competitive bodybuilder competing in the prestigious NPC's Excalibur and Iron Maiden bodybuilding championships, taking fourth place her first time out. She's a writer and fitness blogger for her site, fitnesstransform.com. She's had many articles published in magazines and trade journals. But today we're going to be talking about her book, Your Primal Body, The Paleo Way to Living Lean, Fit, and Healthy at Any Age. Mickey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background? Yeah, um, I've been involved in in the world of fitness and health for at least 20 years and I've been uh, a personal trainer a lot longer than I've been involved uh, with paleo. Um, I started as a bodybuilder as you mentioned back in 1992 and I did uh, that competition and another one and I discovered um, that I really enjoyed the process of transforming my body and that experience um, helped me to realize that I wanted to help others to transform theirs. So uh, additionally, I had always um, had an interest in nutrition. And over the years, I had tried you know, a lot of different diets in my personal exploration of health and fitness. Um, some of the diets were macrobiotics, you know, vegetarianism, which I did for seven years. I was low fat, um, which is actually how I dieted down for my bodybuilding uh, shows. Um, I did The Zone by Barry Sears. I tried Low Carb uh, by Dr. Atkins. And I actually experienced them long enough to really know the benefits uh, of each particular uh, approach. But it was while um, I was working on my degree at uh, the University of California here in Santa Barbara that I discovered the work of Lauren Cordain, his research and the paleo diet. And it was 
for me, the best I had ever experienced with any diet that I tried. So then um, after completing my degree, uh, I discovered the work of Art Devaney. And uh, while Cordain had stressed mostly diet uh, in his research and he you know, only briefly touched on exercise and movement, um, Devaney, he put together a holistic approach to health and fitness that included both uh, diet and exercise, uh, which really appealed to me. And so these two, uh, Cordain and Devaney, were the first to influence me in the direction of paleo. Before I had um, discovered Devaney's work, I had already moved from a focus of bodybuilding exercises where you do um, isolation and compound movements um, yeah, to just totally to build muscle for aesthetics uh, to a program where I was doing more high-intensity intervals and um, functional strength training. Um, and just based on the research that I was reading, but what happened was that Devaney's theory uh, gave me a context for what I was doing in my training, and you know he basically confirmed that I was on the right track, uh, which was pretty exciting. So that's kind of what led me to here and writing my book. Well, so you outline a five-step primal body program in the book. Can you explain your program a little bit? It's, I really like how your book is it's very focused on the fitness aspects of, of, you know, of health. Uh, you want me to explain the program a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, the program is a five-step program, and each step basically builds on the previous step. So the first step is that you want to get the inflammation out of your body because it's going to help you to move better. So step one is eat the anti-inflammation primal diet. And most people, you know, the modern diet of high-carbohydrate foods uh, causes a lot of pro-inflammatory hormones and, um, you know, uh, so it really inflames the body and can lead to uh, a large number of diseases. Because the primal diet that I recommend is naturally low in carbohydrates, it reduces the elevated insulin levels in the body, and it's also um, high in omega-3 and the anti-inflammatory essential fatty acid, and it's low in omega-6, the pro-inflammatory essential fatty acid, so it improves your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And so this diet is very effective for reducing chronic levels of inflammation in the body. So the second step, uh, once people have gotten the inflammation out of their body, is to uh, supplement with the, the Super 6, I call it, or the supplements that I recommend um, to improve their nutrient density. So nutrient density is the uh, actual vitamins, minerals, and um, other essential nutrients contained in food. And uh, paleoanthropologists have you know, examined uh, the food that our ancestors ate uh, 40,000 years ago and compared it to the foods that we eat today, and they found that the, you know, the, the nutritional density was much greater 40,000 years ago. So my choice of supplements is based on what our modern bodies need to best replicate the nutritionally dense diets um, that our ancestors ate. So the third step, so now you're, you've, you've gotten the inflammation out of your body, you're starting to improve your nutrient density, and then you want to re- remove some of the restrictions and adhesions and other um, you know, areas of your body that might need to loosen up so that you can move better. So the third step is to restore your muscles to pain-free movement. And this step 
involves like self myofascial release um, with a foam roller. And so you're basically rolling uh, on different parts of your body to reduce scar tissue and adhesions and, you know, decrease the tightness of, um, of muscles and improve your overall mobility and range of motion so that the result is that your body is now ready to move. So the fourth step is build muscle with primal movement. And um, functional strength training uh, is, is an approach to fitness uh, that emphasizes full body movement. Um, it, it's where you're standing on your feet, uh, like the movements of early humans. And um, it's, it's, it's not really about isolating muscles, uh, which is what people have been doing since you know, the 1970s when Nautilus was designed. But it's, it's, it's more about doing full body movement. So functional exercises prepare you um, for the activities of your daily life. So for example, you know, stepping up on a bench with uh, dumbbells in hands and then pressing them uh, overhead, you know, might prepare you to, you know, step up on a chair and put a box on a shelf. So the idea is to work against uh, the resistance in a way that um, translates or transfers to a specific movement in your life. And that's the basic, you know, the essence of functional training. And this approach emphasizes um, the seven primal movement patterns, um, which are distinct movements that uh, physical therapist Paul Sheck identified uh, that would have, you know, our ancestors would have had to be able to perform them, you know, basically effortlessly to survive. And the seven movements are squat, lunge, bend, push, pull, twist, and gait. So now people are moving. And the next step, you know, you've gotten them healthy, their movement patterns are good, is to kick it up a notch and uh, to kick up the metabolism. So um, to burn fat and to build strength at the same time. So basically, you know, the movements of early humans were predominantly high intensity, you know, involving bursts of explosive movement rather than the kind of slow, long-distance aerobic activity that's so popular um, with most exercisers today. And um, another approach to this type of training would be to perform resistance training exercises like bodyweight exercises or kettlebell exercises uh, in an interval fashion uh, with time sets. So that, in a nutshell, is my program. Yeah, I'm definitely on step five. I need to kick it up a notch. <laughs> Badly, especially after Thanksgiving. Um, but so, our, so what is the paleo diet for any listeners out there that may not be clear on what that means and what kind of food it entails and its benefits? Sure. Um, you know, paleolithic, um, the word paleo means old and lithic, it means stone. So paleolithic stands for the old stone age. And the Stone Age began with the invention of stone tools, which happened about um, 3.5 million years ago. And it lasted up until the Agricultural Revolution, uh, which was uh, 10,000 years ago. So during this time, all humans were hunter-gatherers. And the foods they could consume were foods they could hunt, uh, gather, forage, or fish. So obviously, there were no processed foods, and um, they came about uh, as a result of the Neolithic and Industrial Revolution. So the contemporary paleo diet mimics um, the food groups that our ancestor hunter-gatherers ate. And the food groups that 
they did not eat, uh, they didn't eat cereal grains, um, they didn't eat dairy products, there were no domesticated cows, and um, all the processed foods that we eat right now, basically, you know, they come from cereal grains, dairy products, vegetable oils, and refined sugar. So um, if you put those, you know, food groups together, you can call it what you want. You can call it a piece of pizza. You can call it a croissant. But basically, it's those four food groups um, that most Americans and Europeans consume a great deal of their calories from. So what happens with the paleo diet, it basically eliminates or really reduces um, you know, those, those food groups and focuses more on real living foods uh, like fresh fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds and grass-fed meats and seafood and fish. So, and that's basically it. So are there any aspects of the paleo diet that you don't 100% agree with? I, I know many people that are advocating paleo diet are saying, mm, there's some new foods we may have um, you know, acclimated to or adapted to, like legumes or dairy. What is your take on that? Well, um, I'm on the fence about dairy, um, but I really think that it's best for most people to avoid grains and legumes, um, as well as vegetable oils and sugar. Uh, some people who have ancestors from Northern Europe can probably tolerate dairy because um, a mutation occurred in the DNA uh, about 10,000 years ago, and so there's an adapted uh, tolerance for some people to dairy. And I also think, you know, I wrote Your Primal Body because I wanted to have it, I wanted the, the idea to be more inclusive and less exclusive, so because I've been working with clients for 20 years and I know that, you know, people need choices you know, if they're going to be successful. Not everyone does, but a lot of people do. So I think the modern um, paleo approach to health and fitness is based on both um, our evolutionary history and modern science. And I think it's really very individual. You know, people differ in their tolerances to certain foods and activities as well. So, um, each person just basically needs to experiment and find out what works best for them. And I don't think we can really uh, duplicate the ancestral environment, but we can use it as a guide for living well. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. So are, are there any adjustments that one should make to the traditional paleo diet if they're trying to lose weight? Well, you know, if fat loss is your goal, you want to keep your carbohydrates you know, I mean, it's, it's a generalization, and you know, you know, I always, you know, tell people to keep in mind that, you know, when you say 50 carbs, you know, that may be a little bit different for some guy that's six five and weighs 220 pounds, and you know, a woman that's four nine and weighs 110. I mean, you know, it's a basic uh, idea, but you want to keep your carbohydrates low. And actually, you know, the best, the fastest way to lose weight is to go into ketosis, and it's also very healthy. You know, with this approach, um, you can achieve a significant amount of fat loss uh, while maintaining your lean body mass, especially if you're lifting weights. So if you wanted to reach, you know, 50 grams of carbs, you could, you know, eat low glycemic vegetables at every meal, but, you know, eliminate dairy and most nuts and skip fruits uh, until you've reached your fat loss goal. And there's another component to it, too. It's not just about getting your carbohydrates low, some people uh, may need to create a caloric deficit. So, you know, when you're uh, when you're 
uh, insulin levels are low because you're not eating very much carbohydrate, your fat cells are open, but to get your body to burn fat efficiently, you have to create a need for the fuel. So if you're already getting uh, enough uh, fat to meet all your energy requirements, your body has no need to you know, use you know, your internal stores, right? So the cellular doors may be open, but the fat is not needed, so the fuel stays inside. So to lose weight, you have to you know, create a caloric deficit or a shortage of calories from food um, to you know, start burning your own reserves for energy. And, you know, it really depends. Uh, this is another uh, fat loss is very individual. Some people come in and you know, they do the paleo diet and it's more than enough. All they do is switch to eating more vegetables and, you know, get rid of the starchy carbs and they're, they're losing their weight and, you know, it's very easy for them. But some people have to get a little bit more, um, you know, do a little more work at it to drop the fat. Yeah. Yeah, I know one of my strategies is just to go to bed a little bit peckish every night. You know, yeah, just that's, that's great. That's when I know, you know, I forget counting calories. Ugh, but you I just, just yeah, you just tune into your body. Yeah, it's just a feeling in my body that I know I'm just a little bit hungry when I go to bed, <laughs> and then I know that my body is burnt. It's gonna have to yeah. use some my extra fuel that I have hanging on. Uh, so let's talk about fitness. You mentioned in the book that if we emulate moving like our ancestors, that this is the key to optimal fitness. So what exactly do you mean by this? Well. Um, our modern bodies don't get many physical changes, challenges. Like it's for many people, they don't um, get out and do very much. You know, the part of it's due to the you know agricultural and industrial revolution, and then you know we're just so sedentary that um, we've lost touch with you know basic movement patterns. Um, so a lot of people develop muscular imbalances, and um, and they become dysfunctional. I see that a lot with people that come into my um, my studio. So I work with clients on functional strength training, you know, which I was talking about, full body movements, uh, rather than isolating muscles on machines. And um, once they've learned um, to move well, uh, I show them metabolic resistance training uh, using high intensity interval training. And together, you know, functional strength training and metabolic resistance training provide the closest um, approximation of exercise to our genetic blueprint. So, so how do you design a fitness routine for your clients that emulates how our ancestors moved? Well, functional training um, simulates the seven primal movements um, that I spoke about, and. Um, it's very much like, um, you know, the movement patterns that our early humans did. So, say, for example, uh, all of the movement patterns that I'm teaching people are, you know, based on this template. So, uh, so when someone comes in, most of the time, amazingly, they, they don't move very well. And even simple movements like squats, um, you know, I find their, their, their knees are traveling forward and they're, you know, they're not they're not doing the movement properly and they're not doing the movement in a way that recruits the muscles that they should be recruiting and that's uh that's going to give them the benefits that they want and that's not going to cause them you know problems or injuries over time so the first thing i would do is teach them how to do the movement properly and then once they learn that i start adding some resistance like they could do you know after they learn how to squat they could do you know a kettlebell squat or they could do, you know, a squat with a barbell on their back, or 
They could do, you know, body weight squats to, uh, to time, do to time sets. So they may be squatting for, you know, 60 seconds, or I may have them do like squat jumps where they're jumping with the squat. So uh, the, first, uh, the first point is to teach them how to move well and then to do it with resistance. So this is what everyone wants to know. What is the best exercise routine for weight loss for most people? Because I know everyone's a little bit different, but what is the, the best way to go about it for most people? Uh, it's really high-intensity interval training. You know, the more traditional way is uh, to do um, high-intensity interval training or referred to as intervals. Most people think of them in terms of sprinting, you know, whether um, you're on a track or on a bicycle or in a pool, but um, there's another approach uh, to performing uh, interval training, which is uh, to do it in an interval fashion where you're using uh, resistance training exercises. So um, a huge benefit to this type of training, because most people, when they think about losing fat, they think about doing aerobics. Um, a huge benefit of of uh, performing metabolic resistance training uh, as compared to aerobic training is that you would have less wear and tear on your joints. Uh, and so typically running a mile is about 1,500 foot strikes um, with forces as high as, you know, three to five times your body weight through your hip, your knee, and your ankle. And that's really a lot of trauma to the body, especially if you do it, you know, day after day, week after week. And so if you compare that to metabolic resistance training where you're doing circuits where you perform a series of sets for the same amount of time using a variety of you know, upper body and lower body um, exercises. So uh, both exercises would cause your body to burn calories, but you'd have far less stress from doing um, metabolic resistance training and you'd also be building some muscle. So it's scientific, science has like compared, there's been numerous studies where they compared aerobic exercise to HIIT. And one of the studies, um, there was an Australian uh, research, uh, fat loss researcher who put 45 overweight women through a 15 week study where one group did um, intervals, uh, sprinting on a bicycle for 20 minutes and um, the other group did aerobic exercise at a continuous pace for 40 minutes. So both groups, they exercised three times a week and they had um, their, their nutrient intake was closely monitored. And the results uh, at the end was, uh, at the 15 week point, was that their, the interval group lost three times as much fat doing half as much exercise, just to give you an idea of how effective that type of training is. And the reason that the HIIT group um, burns so much more fat, it's because of a phenomenon uh, known as EPOC, or excess uh, post-exercise oxygen consumption. And what happens is that high-intensity training disturbs um, your body's homeostasis and just kind of throws it off balance. And this um, results in a larger energy um, out, uh, expenditure uh, and, um, you know, after you've finished exercising to restore your, your body back to normal. And this energy expenditure is what causes the increase in fat loss. And it's what makes high-intensity interval training so much more effective than for fat loss than any other type of exercise. 
Yeah, I remember long, long ago when I used to work out the personal trainer lifting weights, and that's what we would do. We would do it really hard and intense, like whether it be leg lifts or whatever ma- machine we were using, do it really intensely, and I would be out of breath. And then you rest, and then you know go to the next machine. And I didn't really do much aerobic activity, but I lost a lot of weight. You know. Right. Fairly. She was doing metabolic circuits where he was. With yeah, you. yeah, fairly quickly, and that's what I, I tell my clients who are trying to lose weight. You know, everyone's doing the usual thing, exercise more and try to eat less. But if you're doing cardio, one hour of cardio five days a week. I mean, I have people doing that, and they're just their weight is not budging. You got to right. shake it up. Right, right, and that's a lot of people. A lot of people are doing it that way. It's amazing, and they don't get results, but they keep doing the same thing over. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's amazing that you can work out in half the time and get triple the results. It's so strange. Yes, it is. So, you know, I found it really interesting that you have a section in your book about how aerobics can make you gain weight. <laughs> so can you explain exactly how too much cardio can make you gain weight? Well, you know, this is not going to be for someone that, you know, just started an exercise program and they've been, you know, sedentary for the past 20 years. I mean, obviously that person is going to experience some weight loss from from doing aerobic training because uh, that program is so new to them, right? And they probably have a lot of weight to lose. But, um, you know, for the people that you're talking about, you know, these uh, people in the gym that, you know, are doing the exercise over and over again, what happens is that uh, the same exercise program, too much um, aerobic exercise can can decrease um, human growth hormone and Human growth hormone tells your body to burn fat and build muscle. And so high, you know, a lot of high volume uh, aerobic training also downgrades your fast twitch muscle fibers into slow twitch fibers over time. And um, one more factor is that aerobic training decreases your total muscle mass, so uh, which will slow down your metabolic rate. So you expend less energy. And less energy expended means less calories burned, uh, which would explain, you know, you know the, the weight gain or the no weight loss of the, uh, the people that we're talking about. You know, obviously it would take a while for this process to happen, and, you know, you would definitely burn fat in the beginning if it, if it was new to you. But, you know, if fat loss is your goal, you know, a fitness program that emphasizes aerobic activity is not the best way to go. The best way to go is interval and resistance training. And it's so, so much more effective like we've spoken about. And so, that's why it's the backbone of my program and, you know, actually it's the way our ancestors moved as well. So it makes a whole lot of sense. So how often do you think people should be working out and how much is too much? Um, it's all very individual. You yeah. know, I have people that come in three times a week and sometimes four, but four is usually excessive. Uh, and... Um, they're doing a lot of high intensity, um, metabolic resistance training and, uh, and they do remarkably well. So generally speaking, three times a week for most people for an hour. Okay. Yeah. And I think once, once you get in that gym or wherever you're working out, you got to just hit it as hard as you can and intensely and get the most out of that, you know, 30 minutes or an hour that you're doing. Yeah, you know, amazingly, uh, when people start working out that way and once they've gotten accustomed to that level of intensity, they crave it after a while. You know, people come back to my 
studio after they've been, you know, gone for three weeks on vacation and, you know, I'll say, do you, you know, would you like to ease back into it? Oh, no, let's just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they love it, you know, and so at first it seems difficult and it's really challenging and it's really hard, but it just feels right to work that hard, to work, you know, to train yourself at a very high intense level. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've, I'm one of those people. I, I had a baby a few years ago, and I hurt my back as soon as I started working out again, and it's just plagued me for years. So I've had to very slowly, you know, build up my my strength again and work around the injury and do physical therapy and do this all this stuff. So I'm just now at the point where I'm able to do a workout really intensely and not, you know, hurt my back. So. That, you know, I never thought I would be in that position because I've always worked out. So there's definitely something to be said for you just can't get up off the couch and just go for it right out of the bat. you got to kind of work up well, a little part bit. part of it, too, is how you're moving. You know, um, like a lot of people that have back issues, it's, it's how they bend. Like the bend is one of the seven primal movements. So, you know, um, when you bend from your back, like if you bend over from your back, that puts a lot of stress on your back and your back's really not designed to move that way. If you hinge, and, and I've had people come into my studio, they've had like three surgeries and their spine has been fused and they've had herniated discs and they've you know, laid up on their back. for. And then I show them how to move and they realize that they probably never needed any of those surgeries, that they really didn't help them and the problem was that they weren't moving well. So if you learned how to, how to bend from your hips, so... Um, it actually, I, I, I demonstrate that I have the seven primal movement chart in my in my book, and I have a, a picture of someone moving that way. But if you bend from your hips and your knees while pushing your hips back to to bend, rather than bending over from your back, um, your back issues will disappear pretty quick. And that's exactly how I hurt my back. <laughs> because bending I, from your hips? Yes. Because bending from your back? Well, kind of like I was bent over and then I, you know, shot back up. Uh, I was actually doing yoga is how I hurt myself. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I had a C-section and uh, I had, uh, you know, I week. yeah, well, I was, uh, you know, I've been pregnant for months, nine months, and then sitting around for six weeks waiting for the C-section to heal. You know, I had no stomach muscles, just non-existent. They were totally atrophied. And, um, you know, you have to have a strong stomach to be able to support your back. So in bending over and standing back up, which is a seemingly simple exercise uh, I thought I could complete, <laughs> I, I hurt my lower back. And it's, it yeah. took a long time to, to recover from that. Yeah, yeah. Especially since your lower abs are so weak because you weren't able to really, you know, strengthen them while you're going through recovery. And so the whole process was kind of slow. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people, um, you know, even people that have been working out for a while or uh, especially people that have been couch potatoes and are getting ready to start working out, is that you can work out these larger muscles. Like people tend to work on their biceps or they do squats for their quads, but you have to have those those smaller muscles to be strengthened to recruit those bigger muscles. No doubt know. about it. The core and the stabilizers, and you have to know how to activate them. Like a lot of people may have the mobility, but they don't know how to stabilize their their core while they're lifting with their extremities, and that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, and that's one thing I had to to do when I was in you know many 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 hours of physical therapy is they actually retaught me how to move. 
Right. Like I had to, they taught me how to walk properly, how to hold my back and my shoulders when I'm walking and how to do this exercise properly. And it took a, a long time to really get in touch with my body and figure out how to, how to recruit properly and how to move properly. It was really, it's very strange. Most people need that training. You know, it was kind of a, you know, that was the silver lining of your injury was that, it, you know, you paid attention to your body and learned how to use it properly. And now you probably will never have an injury again. Yeah, I did that for sure. I'm hopefully not. <laughs> but I'm uh, going to be doing some high intensity interval training soon. So hopefully I don't <laughs> re injure it. Sounds good. Let me know how it goes. I'm planning it. I'm planning. Um, so I have a question that I like to ask all my guests. Uh, what do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Um, I think the, the single greatest threat to our physical well-being is inflammation. Um, you know, since the what, 1990s, you didn't hear about it much before that, you know, there was study after study showing that chronic inflammation is involved in, you know, every disease of civilization cancer, diabetes, coronary heart disease, arthritis, Alzheimer's, uh, you know, autoimmune diseases, um, and even, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. So Barry Sears, um, author of The Zone, uh, he wrote about how the modern diet is linked to chronic disease in his book, Toxic Fat, uh, When Good Fats Turn Bad. Uh, According to Sears, um, over the years, like the the past uh, few decades, um, three distinct dietary factors came together to create what he calls the perfect nutritional storm. And the three factors were an increase in the consumption of um, refined carbohydrates, which causes high insulin levels, and an increase in the consumption of um, vegetable oils, and which are you know pro-inflammatory and uh, inflame the body, and a decrease in the consumption of fish oil, uh, which is you know high in the anti-inflammatory omega-3 essential fatty acids. So Sears says that when you consume uh, an excess of cheap carbohydrates, uh, you know refined carbs or whatever, and vegetable oils together, the increased levels of insulin from the carbs uh, causes the uh, omega-6 essential fatty acids um, from vegetable oils to produce um, an, an inflammatory hormone, arachidonic acid, and he said this is what, uh, it, it's like it causes a constant low level of inflammation in the body, and, and he said it's what develops into chronic disease. So he theorizes that it's um, the inflammatory hormone, arachidonic acid, uh, which is really the underlying cause of chronic disease. So, so it basically, all the inflammation that we see that, that you know, is causing people to have, you know, a lot of the chronic, you know, diseases and illnesses that out there that are, you know, uh, so prevalent today, it's caused by their diet. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it makes me really sad when I go to Whole Foods and there's all this amazingly healthy food and vegetables and dishes and whatnot, and they're all made with canola oil. Which is I know. A, you look at the salads, even in some uh, place like this, and the dressings at the salad bar, 
They're almost all canola oil. I find one that has olive oil in there. Or soybean oil, and that's an inflammatory omega-6 oil. And it's just, it's pervasive, even at health food stores. Even the Chinese restaurants you're eating, you think you're eating all these healthy vegetables. They're all soaked in soybean oil. You know, it's just very frustrating. And when you look at it, you know, if you just have one tablespoon, say, of like um, safflower or sunflower oil, it it has um, 10 grams of omega-6, one tablespoon. So some people are putting a couple of tablespoons on their salad, you know, just adding a little fat, thinking fat is good, and eating a lot of vegetables, and they're getting a really big dose of the pro-inflammatory essential fatty acids. Yeah, and even if they're taking your, they're you know dutifully taking their omega three fish oil, it's not doing anything because these omega threes and omega sixes compete for the same enzymes to be converted into the forms our body uses, and exactly. they're all getting used by omega six. So the omega three you're taking is doing nothing. Yeah. So yeah, then what happens is they come into my studio and they're you know their hip is aching and they tell me. You know, I've been doing everything, you know, but really I'll still ask them, where, where did you have lunch? Where did you have dinner? And then you know they're getting all of that um, omega-6 in the, in the foods that they're eating out. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. People, they're, they're really, they become um, immobile and crippled and they go to the doctor and the doctors just give them pain meds and want to do surgeries and it's just, we got to get back to basics. Right. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about you and where they can find you? Uh, yeah. Well, um, I am in Santa Barbara, California. I have a fitness studio here called uh, Fitness Transform uh, on State Street. Um, my website is fitnesstransform.com. I have a Facebook page, which is named uh, uh, the name of my book, Your Primal Body. And I'm on Twitter with um, my name, at Nikki Riley. And what kind of services do you offer? Someone comes to you, obviously they can do fitness. Like what, what kind of things do you do with your clients? Um, I do one-on-one um, and semi-privates, so two or three people together. And I offer small group training, which is four to eight people. So it's, I really focus on the individual. It's not big boot camps. Uh, but it, even when I'm training people in a small group where there's four to eight people, everyone gets a lot of individual attention. I train them, you know, not so much all the same way, but all kind of uniquely within the group. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really admire your dedication to fitness, like not only for your own health, but for really sharing your wealth of knowledge and fitness on your site and in your book. And I really urge the listeners to sign up for her newsletter on her site, fitnesstransform.com. And I love that your book is, you know, different from other paleo books and that it really focuses more on movement and exercise. And there's lots of exercises and routines that one can do in the book to transform their own body. And there's so many great uh, fitness tips in the book. It's really good. Thank you, Wendy. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you. Okay. All so- right. So listeners, if you want to learn more about the paleo diet, weight loss, or how to do a serious detox, you can find me on livetoone110.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at I will live to 110. I'm also on YouTube at Wendy live to 110 and on Instagram and Pinterest at live to 110. So if you like what you heard on the show today, please give the Live to 110 podcast a review in iTunes. I'd appreciate it so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. 
Remember, you must actually get out there barefoot in the sun and grunt and sweat to get a caveman workout. Or you can be like me and be very content simply reading about a caveman workout in Mickey's book. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.